All right, Comic-Cons, I know you're about to listen to another fun-filled episode of the Comic-Cons podcast, and we know it's all just fiction, but guess who's joining me today? Mr. Johnny Barnes. John Barnes, that's my name. And we are going to talk to you about another little podcast, okay, called Orgy of Sound. Orgy of Sound! Now, if you like the Comic-Cons podcast, and if you like listening to me ramble on and wax on. rhapsodically about wax. T-800s, mm-hmm. living tribunals, Freddy and... Bill and Ted and all the good stuff we grew up with. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All of that stuff either is in a comic book or squished in between your VHSs and your penthouse magazines. Just think to yourself, why not settle for one podcast when you can have two podcasts? Say, go right I'm for saying. it. Dive right in. Dive right in. And it's available on all the same platforms, Spotify, Anchor.fm. Mm-hmm. Free. By free! The way. You don't have free, to like, free. sell your soul to the devil. Not at all. You got to sign nothing, no agreeing to terms that you get freaked out about later. Exactly. Look, if you like music, if you like listening to a couple of guys talk about music and break down a song, we're talking quick burst episodes, quick bursting episodes out of our <laughs> pants, you know? Come on, join the orgy. The orgy of sound. Orgy of sound. Available anywhere podcasts are available. Available. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait. Stop right there. Listen. Ah, you know what old Jack Burton always says at a time like this? Who? Jack Burton. Me. Wakanda forever! Kawabunga. Friend of mine? I am Catwoman. Hear me roar. <laughs> Welcome to Comic-Con. A geek podcast for the rest of us. A geek podcast for the rest. Welcome to Comic-Cons, a geek podcast for the rest of us who are the rest of us. My name is Nick Stevens. I'm your host, but in a way, aren't we all having a little bit of a conversation, you know, while little Z's in the background here playing with his parking garage. Cars are coming in, cars are coming out. We don't know who's going anywhere, but we're all here for a good time. And I wanted to record a little intro at the top of this guy because I finally got around to posting my conversation with the artist of international renown, Mr. Barry Pressing, a.k.a. H. Fish. Mr. Fish, as it were, has a studio in Australia. Uh, He's from San Diego, California, but moved from San Diego, California to Australia sometime in the early 2000s. He's been there ever since. He has an eclectic, wide variety of art that he does, ranging from painting to sculpting. He worked on the 1995 Batmobile, for the Batman Forever that was coming out with Val Kilmer. Uh, he worked on Raiders. He did some sculpting work with them. Um, and his paintings are sold and distributed internationally. You know, uh, He came across our podcast, wanted to do a conversation. We talked about art. We talked a little bit about politics and the climate and the current thing going on in our country and in our world. Uh-huh. And um, it was a fun conversation. It was an interesting conversation. He's an interesting guy. He's an eccentric guy. I'm a little eccentric, so it kind of worked out. Uh, but it was a real pleasure having him on the show on the ZWM Box 350. 
and I finally got around to posting it. So I thought I'd do this little intro so you guys could get a wherewithal of what the hell's going on. Um, and I think you'll enjoy it. You know, if if this podcast is anything, it's eclectic. You know, uh, we try to be diverse, not only with our guests, but with the shit we talk about. You know, so yeah, check out H Fish and his studio at hfish.com.au. You can check out most of his sculptures and his paintings there. Um, and don't forget to check out his book, which uh, he, we do talk about at some point during the show uh, quite extensively. He even reads some passages from said book. Uh, and that's A Man Called Fish. Uh, and that's available anywhere books are sold or distributed. I think you can check it out on Amazon. I know it's on Amazon. So check all that out. Give him a follow on, on the IG if you're if you're so inclined and you have the time and the inclination. Anyway, I just hope you enjoy the interview. I hope you enjoy the conversation. I hope you enjoy the show. I want to thank you for listening to the show again and again and again. I can't thank you all enough. Hey, Zeph, I know you're paying tickets, but it's just... It's just fiction. That's right. Don't take it seriously. Let's enjoy the show. Nick. Hey, how's it going? Oh, <laughs> uh, well... Thank God I have a talented partner who is able to do this technology. <laughs> hey, that's how it is sometimes. I'm just uh, I'm just grateful that you're here and grateful that uh, we were able to make this happen. Th- thank you uh, so much for doing this. Yeah, not a problem, man. How are you down there? What's uh? Oh, it's it's Saturday afternoon. It's the uh, middle of winter. It's windy by the beach, but uh, I have a lovely safe home, so I'm good. Yeah, that's great. That's great. I I appreciate your flexibility with the schedule. I'm a proud papa, and I got a yeah. little I, I got a little guy who's uh, you know four going on twenty. So I had to uh, you know some nights he goes to bed early, some nights he wants to headline at the Apollo. So it just depends on on where we're at, you know. If, as long as he doesn't replace James Brown, we're good. <laughs> exactly. Are you in Chicago? No, no, I'm in uh, I'm in Virginia. Virginia, all right. Yeah. Well, I've been all over America, so I've got a taste for the whole thing. Yeah, I could. I was. I wanted to do a little bit of research before talking to you, and I, and I know that you relocated from the states to Australia. Where did it all begin with you? I mean, because you have such a diverse. I was just from looking at your Instagram and your social media presence. Your stuff is like so diverse and, and eclectic. Yeah, it's it, it's a wide range of influences, but it uh, it goes back to being born in 1948. You know, just yeah. after the war and in San Diego. So. Uh, it was just a, the most so amazing time to be a young man in, in the early 50s in California and then the world. I mean, I'm just looking at the, the big text from this uh, biography I've written. In 1953, you know, one billion comic books were printed. The right. power of comic books alone to, for, a young, for a child like your kid's age, it would just be, can't be understated. Right, right. <laughs> You know, it's it's how we it's how we glean their information. It was it was that and a little bit of Sunday morning, Saturday morning TVs, and then I had the good fortune to grow up right at the beach. Right. Wow. <laughs> Were you immediately drawn to comics growing up? Because I mean, I know yeah. I was. I was immersed in it. Thank you. Yeah, I just I, I, one of my rare early talents was I could draw. When everyone was drawing the the stick people in the stick house, you know, I could draw <laughs> three three dimensionally, and I had this brilliant older brother who could do everything. He was, he's still the youngest man to get a PhD from Caltech wow. at 15. So wow. it, was, it was a tremendously brilliant, loving influence. We always shared a room, but he couldn't draw to save his soul. So, mm. so I gravitated to what he couldn't do. <laughs> <laughs> and, 
and we went from there. It's something that I always wanted to do. I always, I always wish I could draw, and I, and I never really had the knack for it. I, I kind of went towards the music end of the realm instead, and then I kind of stumbled into this podcasting thing later in life. Yeah. Well, it's it's interesting. I mean, uh, it's you, you change with the times where you sink. Right. Uh, and and you know, fortunately, to have a, like I say, a brilliant partner with technology, and I know a couple of twelve-year-olds who can help me out with phone. So, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's just what's happening. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, I've been, I was reviewing uh, so many of the early 60s underground comics since, you know, I, I understand about Marvel and all that stuff because from early Superman things. Right. But uh, I'm not the hugest fan of the, of the Marvel movies and <laughs> I don't keep up on all the edges of things, but I, I have done some work with, um, you know, uh, illustrated novels and the early underground stuff is where all this comes from. Right, you know, absolutely. The, the breaking away and uh, uh, you know you see some of the most recent posts I've done were, were things from S. Clay Wilson and Rick Griffin, who was a good friend of mine, and I had the fortune to rub against all those. I wanted to talk to you about that too because I I was a late bloomer when it came to digging up on some of those earlier uh, revolutionized comics in terms of like the underground stuff, some of the more pulpy stuff, some of the so in some corners of the world, they might say risque, but not in my corner of the world, because this show, as you know, our, as you know, this podcast gets kind of raunchy, so we we do not shy away from from any of that. But look, I, I dug out S. S. Clay Wilson, who had to be the rawest of the raw. Oh man, that's beautiful. You know, Cap, Captain Piscum and the Pervert Pirates. I mean, he just <laughs> he pushed it past everybody. I mean, Chrome was irreverent, but uh, S. Clay Wilson did, and like this little book is a very unknown one. It is just a color front and cover. It's 20 pages or 10 pages, 20, 20 images, a totally unrelated. Each wow. one is a, is a climactic scene of the battles between the imaginary bikers and the lesbian pirates. And it's just full of gore and, and mayhem. You wow. Know, just, it goes on and on and on. That's incredible. So, and he's just, I just was looking at, he just recently has passed, you know, hmm. they're all about my age or, or gone, <laughs> one or the other, <laughs> in the early 70s. Wow. But uh, I have, I'm, the most of my collection I left behind, I've been, I've been gone from the States for 20 years, and my, my son has all of those, but I have about, I brought about 15 that I couldn't live without uh, when, I, when I moved to Australia. You know? Wow. <laughs> what, what was the uh, what was the inspiration for the for the migration for the journey to Australia? Well, you know, having to fabricate a homosexual relationship with myself to not go into the Vietnam War mm. and being such a political activist and distrust. I mean, as, as a young man, I saw them kill all the Kennedys and Martin Luther King, and then the ridiculousness of the of the oh, it's just the one shooter, you know. And we knew we were being lied to from the very beginning. So the distrust of the government and the hate of the Vietnam War, and uh, if I hadn't been successful in, in smuggling and art uh, to stay in America, I would have left earlier. But after 9-11 and the, the unfortunate passing of most of the older people of my family, I said, I got to go before it's completely unraveled. And, and California is not a good place to be unless you have an awful lot of money, hmm. you know, or an awful lot of friends. And the friends were there, but the money wasn't so. 20 years ago, I made the leap after 9-11 and uh, found a way to stay and became wow. a citizen, yeah, which, which is not easy for old Americans, that's for sure. Well, good for you. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. incredibly safe and wonderful here. Yeah. I mean, 
California is losing people. It has about 38 million at the moment. All of Australia, the same continental size as continental America, has 24 million. Right. And there's, there's just, it's just very uninhabitable in the middle. It's a giant desert. But still, the, the low numbers mean that, that everything can be provided for the people. Right. I just right. had $60,000 heart surgery, which would cost me $60,000 in America, absolutely for free, highest quality care. So now I have a, I have a, a Balinese teeth, a, a German <laughs> Titanic knee, and Australian heart valves. Wow. <laughs> so you really you really are a true renaissance man not only in like your art and what you do but also in and your in your makeup <laughs> well i mean things break as you get older yeah and i've been fortunate you know i i did an awful lot of drugs for an awful lot of time but it's been 20 some years just sticking to the three w's you know yeah. whiskey weed and women have sustained <laughs> me in the last 20 and i would i would suggest that for all former drug addicts just stick to the three w's <laughs> that's fantastic <laughs> hey you actually touched on something um with in terms of you know a, a certain culture and a certain like tone in, a, in the country and in the states and and i'm always i want to get your take on this i'm always like flabbergasted when i meet uh individuals who are into like comics and into you know even like abstract like science fiction or into that world that it's that world tends to always be a little bit more um subversive in its nature of like rebelling against something and, and exploring something. And, and I'm always shocked when I find people that, or I bump into people that say they like that stuff, but then they, the way that their ideologies go far into this crazy right wing nuts. So, you know, I don't yeah. even know. <laughs> well, you know, all we have to do is look at it. This was only about 60 days ago, the Pentagon, the stiff dogs at the Pentagon, admitted they don't know what these things are that the pilots keep seeing. So the very fact that we now have that admission, because I've been a believer, if, you, if, if people read my biography, that I had the good fortune to actually know a man who was at the Roswell crash scene, because I, I had a relatively large scale marijuana growing operation that bordered onto his farm and we became friends. No way. Uh, and he had a piece of the memory metal that you could, scrunch in your hand and it would pop back to shape and told the story of how he was there and you know, at the actual scene and it's of course it's in the book but uh, he's passed on now but that memory stays with me you know he he, rec he recants it and i recant it beautifully in the book he was right there when they gathered up the bits <laughs> you know and i i totally believe we're not alone oh 100 100 yeah if you don't believe that you're not doing the math you know, right, you know, right. It just—it would be, you know. I think I think I heard it once say it would be an awfully lonely existence if if we were the only ones. And the, and I, you know the reason this is not being let go is because the power brokers that are that are jerking the big chains. It's certainly not government officials. Hmm. Certainly not presidents or prime ministers. They don't want to upset the apple cart. And it, 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 it to me it would be such a revelation to. Let go of this belief that all these religions, primarily the Abrahamic religions, that all of this was created just for us. That we're the right. chosen sons right. of God. You know, come on, we're just part of a big galactic family, and we don't fit in if you're going to be a Christian, Muslim, or a Jew. You know, that, that's old thinking that solved problems for people 2,000, 1,000 years ago. It kept everybody in line. Right. And, and uh, the power brokers don't want to lose that structure. If you're a, if you're a preacher and getting free, free no taxes, you don't want to lose your clock, you know. Right. <laughs> anyway, it's uh, 
you know, when in doubt of anything, follow the money. Follow the money. Yeah. Well, I guess I'm in the wrong business then if I'm if I'm sticking to the the podcasting. I mean, it's not not a whole lot of money, and that fortunately unless I have a I have a day job, but <laughs> unless you're Joe Rogan, right? Exactly. Yeah. I, I've seen him before, and uh, I've had the good fortune to meet so many people that are quote unquote famous. Um, but when you meet them and they're coming up, they're just people. It's like my experience with spending the summer with Janis Joplin and, and a weekend with Tennessee Williams. I just fumbled on those people and they were just there at the time. But how did you fumble along Janis Joplin? Can we hear that story? Can yeah, we? I can, I can read you the two <laughs> pages from my book, which explains exactly how I met Robert Crumb. And Robert Crumb that same afternoon introduced me to Janis Joplin. Wow. <laughs> Do you want me to read it to you? Please, please. All right, prepare yourself. Does it, is this biography new or is it? It's just, it's been out a, about a month or so. A Man Called Fish, okay. Yeah, it's a, you can get it from Amazon or you can get it digitally from Smashwords. Um, and it's had really strong, really, really fabulous reviews. In fact, the uh, no less than the London School of Economics said, if it was written by Kerouac and edited by Tarantino, it couldn't be a more compelling review of the last six decades of Americana. Wow. I couldn't put it down. That's a hell of a review. Yeah, there's, there's, I've got a review a lot long ago from Dennis Hopper because Dennis Hopper actually went to the same high school I did, but a couple of years ahead of me. No way. So, but listen, let me let me read you this. Yes, yes, please. So, is that a good sound? Absolutely. Right. Sound great. Beautiful. All right. On any Sunday in the summer of '67. Three concerts happened in Golden Gate Park at the Polo Grounds. I left one solo morning to ride the ferry across from the Embarcadero and walk to the park and let the city talk to me. Crossing at the intersection of Haight and Madison Avenues stood a lanky man, not yet 30, with rolled shoulders, baggy pants, coke bottle glasses, hawking something from a baby buggy. Here at last, friends and neighbors, hot off the press, Zap Zero, the cutting edge of underground comics, and all for 35 cents. Comics, of course, had been a big deal for me as a kid. This was the comic that would change my life forever and being presented by its creator. In 1954, the cover of my beloved Mad Magazine ran a headline, Comics Go Underground. That was the year that the Comic Code Authority, a self-censoring regulatory of comics, came into existence. Their rigid whitewashing took all the joy out from the juicy pages. Kids no longer would have their minds blown with the likes of Vault of Terror, Tales from the Crypt, Frontline Combat, Weird Science and Fantasy. Tales of gore, mayhem, blood, sex were gone forever. So comics went underground. By the late 60s, a resurfacing came at the back of the growing opposition to the Vietnam War, resistance to sexual freedom, and a general mistrust for all things governmental. On that very street corner stood the very unknown Robert Crumb, just back from his 1965 European success with Fritz the Cat. Crumb had come out west to draw and self-market the first of his Zap comics. Can I have a look, I said? Sure, here's the dog-eared copy. Plopped into my hand was the smallest book that ever changed my life, Zap Zero. Materializing from the cultural ether, Crumb's drawings were of a topic that revealed to the youth characters such as White Man, Mr. Natural, Human the Human, and Angel Food McSpade. They worked through the questions that were drawn on Clum's Trevor Quickie style. The style was black and white, full of bold lines, clever shading with an invented distortion. So this is like all your own work? Yep, and cheers for the small price of a dime and a quarter. A brief glance and I could not get the change out of my pocket fast enough. 
The only color was on the cover. A naked, bald, cartoon male airborne plugged into the wall, sat the comic that plugs you in. And I, my friend, have my original copy. <laughs> so here, 54 years ago, there it is. Wow. That's the, that's the one I bought from his hand. Zap Comics. Zap Zero. That's zero, that's issue zero. Yeah. So we continue. There were malicious, insensitive ads for imaginary foods. His shit was so sexist, antagonistic, ethnically incorrect, and wonderfully drawn that it presented such a tongue-in-cheek manner that it just worked. Crumb drew what people didn't have the balls to say and made it funny. I sat on the curb for 20 minutes and had gone through the magic twice. So this is some very cool stuff. Glad you can see it for what it is. And the way you pray, portray women, I said. Some women don't get it, but the fact is I'm in awe of the power of the human female. I worship them. Yeah, not the candy-coated playboy types. Real lusty, lanky, strong females. Crumb had the look of finding the comrade for some secret cause. How many more of these in your buggy, I asked. Only about 30. I thought I'd work my way over to the park and see if I could sail to the council. Mr. Crumb, my name's Fish. I'm here for art school. Mind if I walk over with you? Let's go. Hey, there he is. <laughs> you fr you froze up on me, and then I and then I lost you. But you were right in the, You were getting ready to head off with uh with our crumb. You were getting ready to walk with him. Exactly. We just I I, I met him. I bought the book. I'd help him sell the thirty copies in the baby buggy, and we'd walk to the free concert eight ten blocks away at the polo grounds, and um, we'll pick it up from there. All Please right. do. Are we staying for the show? I ask. Not really my favorite kind of music. I like the old-timey, raggy, bluesy 78s. Anything American pre-1940. But I've done poster art for this band, Big Brother. Have you heard of the Chick Singer? Really? I just saw them at Monterey. She's a knockout. Come around the back and I'll introduce you. She won't date musicians, but she digs the arty types. Besides, she likes them young. Goes through them like socks. You might get lucky. <laughs> These were not huge shows. Just a free concert given each weekend at the park. Any number of local bands, Grateful Dead, Tubby Joe and the Fish, Moby Grape, Jefferson Airplane, would just play. Today it was Quicksilver and Big Brother. Hey, Janice, over here. Crumb raised a hand. Crummy, you old fucker. Standing there in her yet-to-be-famous form came a glowing, round-faced, average-looking, 23-year-old Texan, Janice Joplin. Wow. Did you finally get your little comic book printed? Ah, uh, you know I did, and here's your copy. <laughs> She had this infectious rolling cackle that served as her laugh. And who's my new friend? Janice nods in my direction. This here's Fish from down Dago Way, another starving artist surfer type. Well, pleased to meet you, Mr. Fish. And the bubbly Miss Joplin pumped my hand. Ever heard what I do? Most assuredly, I saw the big show last week at Monterey. What a killer. Ah, oh, thanks, sweetie. Sit off to the side on the speakers with Crummy. We're about to go on. And with that, for the next 60 minutes, I did small drawings sat on stage with the then unknown Robert Crumb to watch, at her request, the unknown rough singer from a local band who had not even recorded an album. It was just what was happening. Nothing special. This was what was going down all over the Bay Area. Waves of wide-eyed youth filled the streets, thriving on what was being called the San Francisco Sound. There you go. Wow. So from that, she and wow. I, she had a she played next week in Berserkly, which is where I was going to art school. And she said, well, come on by. So I went and saw that show. We got a bottle and went back to my place. 
uh, spent the night. And we probably had three overnight sessions after that. And <laughs> then the first album came out and the movie Monterey and then her star took off. Uh, I saw her one more time after she was what they call famous. And uh, that was shortly before she passed away. Man, that is that is that is just insane. It's all about timing. It's all about timing in the universe, right? You just never know. Yeah, and there's 600 pages of this nonsense. It just—I <laughs> feel like I was Forrest Gump, you know. <laughs> well, I just happened to be at so many places at the right time. Yeah, it went that way. And, and we, we had really, you know, growing up next to the Mexican border and have an early exposure to to marijuana from the Mexican painters that were teaching me how to paint choppers, uh, you could buy 2.2 pounds of marijuana for 50 bucks. Mm. You know, you took it to the city 500 miles away and it was $80 a pound. So, you know, and, and of course when you're, it was $1.75 an hour if you worked at McDonald's then. So yeah, to make a couple hundred dollars profit was a huge, but you didn't have to have a job. So right. it was really easy to realize you never wanted to have a straight job. You want to sell weed. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> it makes sense. <laughs> it, made, it made total sense to me. Plus, everybody wanted to know you. Right. You know, they were all, you, the, the, the crowd parted when you came there because you were who they were looking for. And then, of course, being in San Francisco for two years, uh, the acid was so good. And, of course, acid there was 50 cents a hit if you bought it in bulk. And it was five bucks a hit if you sold a single dose in San Diego. So, obviously, this two-way street of going home to, and coming back and going... And then, you know, it was just, it's, it's what started it for me. And then it went from there. Do, do you find that like, and I, and you, especially coming up in that time, you know, when it, they call it like sexual revolution, they call it, you know, drug infused revolution. And I, and of course everybody knows that every decade has its, has its scene and every decade has its, has its drug of choice, I suppose. But exactly. I, like, I, like, I know for me, you know, I've been sober, uh, you know, going on seven years, recovering alcoholic. Yeah. And um, I'm glad I never came across something like cocaine that would enable me to stay up all night drinking more. <laughs> but, but and, and, uh, it, it, you know, we shift now to the, to, the, to the 70s. We get out of the 60s, we get into the 70s. I'm like 25. I've got this chopper hot rod shop that's supported. Uh, it's, it's very successful because of the work we're doing. Right. It's also successful because I've got bags of money from selling weed and acid that would make up any shortcomings that you ever need to be successful. Wow. So the one fed the other, and then the cocaine was just really good then. I mean, I've had people in Australia post-2000 offer me cocaine. I go, you know, I don't really want to insult you, but growing up when I did and using all what I did, the fairy dust, and you're showing me this ubiquitous white powder. Come on, we're half a world away from where this shit comes from. That's not what, you know, so don't even, you can't tempt me. Right. You can't tempt me. Right. But uh, it was everywhere. I mean, I'd say in the book, I'd go to see my doctor. I'd go to see my dentist. I'd go to see my accountant. And afterwards, they'd take out their little puck with their little cup, and you'd trade cups to see who had the better stash. Oh, and, it's, you know, and it, 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 everybody <laughs> did it. You know, it, 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 it was everywhere. It was just, oh, people go, oh, well, it's totally natural. You know, it's, right. it's not a right. drug. It's, you know, right. you got to have a drink. drink that. So it, just, it just was this snowball effect. And it did I'm sure. Just, merged but um it uh, everything it's like everything else changes you know everything yeah. else changes. and your resilience when you're 25 and 35 is much better than when you're 55 much less 75 so, right you know <laughs> right. Uh, but, but this is like i say it's it's in this 600 page book which which runs the gamut of all that stuff 
And in the early 70s, I drove my older brother back to New York for his first PhD teaching position. We segued from where we were going in Rochester to the New York City and sought out Andy Warhol. And it wow. was as easy to it was easy to go to where he was, go up the elevator, and just walk in on him because people were very approachable in '72. You just they were there for all the drag. Well, oh, well, who are these? Oh, you want to see Andy? Everybody wants to see Andy, you know. And there he was, you know. And just and because we had this different look, you know, the the, the one the one drag was, oh, hello, you handsome young men from knocking around here. <laughs> You didn't fit anyway, in, but you but you fit in because you, you they could tell you weren't from around there, so they were willing to just let you into the fold, you know. Yeah, and, and again, my I'm six three. My brother was six four. We both had shoulder length hair. We had a great big dog with us, and we didn't look like you know we, we wanted to be the other sex, and we're limp wristed with Andy's people. But I said, oh, we're just artists and, and uh, musicians traveling by. We thought we'd stop in. Right. Just thought, oh, well, sure. Anyway, it's uh, it's just what was going around then. It, the world was very more approachable, probably the best way to say. You know, people just didn't have a problem. And in New York City, if you didn't speak up, you didn't get anywhere. Right. I was going to say, like, does it seem like it was more? There was more of a community in that sense. Like, it, maybe not, or maybe both. Maybe in, in music and in art. I mean, do you think it was more communal, more, more, um, yeah, more, more, more approachable? People weren't so precious about. There weren't this many handlers. Right. I mean, you could you could get to all the the seventies and early sixties rock bands because they were just there. Right. You know, they had roadies that moved the equipment, but right. there were an entourage of people keeping you back. You know, from your two dollar ticket to see right. four great bands for four hours at the Fillmore. Man, that's wild. And then, and then of course, a way into that was uh, I met Rick Griffin in the sixties from Surfer Magazine and being a surfer, and from my my older cousin who was a famous board builder. And he and I hit it off because there was only a year difference. We looked the same. He was drawing Murphy cartoons and we just got along famously. And then four years later, he shows up in the San Francisco scene doing the posters. I reacquaint myself with him. And that was my technique. He goes, oh, come by, you know, we're doing this poster for Hendrix and John Mayo. And the, you know, and then there's Jimmy, there's Jimmy Hendrix. And he's just like, hey man. There's Jimmy Hendrix. Holy <laughs> he's just, shit. He's just, he's just in the room, you know? And there's, <laughs> there's, a, there's a, a, a part where he speaks in um, a song in Axis Bold as Love, and he goes, hey, man, it's raining. You know? right. And that's, that, was, that was him. He was just as, as soft and as mellow, and there's no big pretend, no pretenses of any kind. Right, right. I remember, I remember seeing him, someone said, man, you're the best rock guitarist in the world. He goes, I'm probably the best rock guitarist in the room, you know. And there's like, four, <laughs> and there's four of us, you know. Right. So, uh, humility that is is lost, you know. I mean, I don't know. You can't grieve for times that are gone. You just have to embrace them and remember them. Right. Absolutely. I I am what you would call very nostalgic of of a certain time of my upbringing, which would be the the the, the flagrant lack of shame in the late late 80s and early 90s with movies like RoboCop all that sh you know the early Batman movies that that Burton yeah. verse that's my shit that's in my that's my DNA so i always go back to that and we always joke on the show like man what is we always come back to Batman or Delta City so which <laughs> so which one is it and um and you and you worked on a batmobile you said uh, i did i had a, a good friend who was a still photographer for the movie business this is probably 86 uh, and he came up with the idea that, you know, they wanted a third movie, which is the Val Kilmer movie. Right. And they wanted a new, a new car. 
because they wanted to keep the franchise fresh. He said, I've got a backer who will pay for half. I know you've got the skills. I want to make a Batmobile and see if they'll pick it up for the movie. So <laughs> we, we, we made drawings. It's, it's all in the book. We, we, can, we used a 72 Corvette, which was fiberglass, so we could break into the body and make a substructure, cast these huge blocks of foam around it, shape it back down, and it's, it, it's beautiful. And there's a big picture of it on my Instagram page. Yes. Um, that car is in a collection of uh, odd vehicles in Japan as we speak. <laughs> yeah, I was just reading the other day, Tokyo has uh, an intense DC like museum exhibit. And they have mm. some, some crazy gems from just across the world and across the many spectrums of when these films are being worked on at various times or different projects. It's just fascinating. But that's, I mean, that's incredible that that was at your, at your feet at one point. Oh, it, again, Movie props are something I've done a lot of, you know, the, and miniatures in general, because pre-CG, yes. they had to have a, they had to have, they usually made three of everything. Uh, one that would actually work, one that could be used for close-ups or faraway shots, and one to blow up, because right. of Hollywood. Right. <laughs> and, and, I th- and a lot of that, in my opinion, still holds up in, in so many ways, and there's a, there's a texture to it that doesn't lose its authenticity. Like, like, especially with like, you know, I mean, obviously the Star Wars stuff, but even stuff on the smaller scale, like I mentioned RoboCop, like that, those, 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 the models and then the scales they were using and the props they were using, there's that texture. Never mind the fact that they're using squibs instead of, you know, CGI blood. And, And you know that when the Millennium Falcon flies through the asteroid belt in the very, very, very first movie. Well, the asteroids in the background are actually Idaho potatoes on screen. <laughs> it's amazing. Uh, it's, yeah, well, it's just, it's, you had to work with what you had back then, which wasn't right. a whole lot. Right. You know, um, you know I, uh, like I mentioned that Dennis Hopper went to the same high school, which was uh, Helix High School in uh, La Mesa, California. So shout out to all the brothers and sisters from Helix. Um, and in being there at the early edge, very early edge of, of trick choppers, the opening scene in Easy Rider is hmm. they're showing the purchaser the cocaine that's in the battery compartments of the dirt bikes that they've brought across the border, which was a very common way to bring things across the border, hidden in stuff like that. And we were all there because we'd been invited down to be in the in the, the opening scenes. And that's when I was able to reconnect with Hopper saying, oh, you know, we went to the same high school. And then that's how they, and we, we were there on, on, on beautiful choppers. So... Fonda and he were like, oh, who are these guys? You know, so the, the connection was just approachable. Right, right. <laughs> that that movie, that movie still still haunts me. That scene at the campground when when Nicholson bites it oh. and they and they, I mean, it's still because it's so visceral and real. There's nothing yeah. really Hollywood about yeah. it, and it it yeah. stayed with me. That kind of shit stayed. And I still kind of look over my shoulder now when I when I'm if I ever camp again, like just <laughs> like. Well, that that we thought that movie. Uh, after Endless Summer did, Endless Summer did for surfing what we knew Easy Rider was going to do for riding motorcycles. Absolutely. And, and the guys I was building bikes with at the time, we all said, well, let's go see this, the movie. So we rode bikes to the movie and park, went in, saw the film. We came out. I, I go into this in detail in the book. We came out and we go, what's this crowd of people? Well, they're all looking at these five bikes at the curb and wanting to see who's going to get on them. And then at that right. moment, I realized how you how the world perceives you riding this type of modified vehicle will never be the same because of this movie right right mm-hmm. and but, there's a there's a respect and reverence 
for that, right? Because it's because it's something that people don't. Not everybody does. Not everybody just gets on. It gets into that world. Oh, and, and I say in the book too. People people kept thinking, oh, oh, this is a this is this is a good thing. But you know, they were they were incredibly unstable with the long front ends. They were twitchy at low speed and <laughs> jump jumpy at high speed. But you know, if you went to a party and rode up there, women would fuck you. <laughs> it was very simple. <laughs> It was a precursor of a romance. That's really what, what it all boils down to. You know, if you ask anybody why they get into a band, it's like, well, I want to meet chicks. You know, if you ask yeah. anybody, you know, why you, why you get into art, you know what I'm saying? Well, eventually, like, hopefully it's so that people see it and I impress some, some girls and, you know. Um, but also yeah. it's that escapism. It's that release. It's that cathartic thing, right? I mean. It, it, it is. It is. It is connecting with, uh, with the world at a different level than everybody else connects with. That's right. That's what makes it stand out. That's what makes people different. That's what brings people to you as, oh, I want to see what this guy's doing, you know? Yeah, I always have a hard time. And this is not like, I'm not throwing shade or I always have a harder time relating to people that aren't, even if they're not fully artistic, if they're not like into music the way I am, or if they're not into art or comics, it's always harder for me to draw upon a conversation because I, I don't want to talk about mortgages and cutting my grass. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, that's why, you know, accounts. Accountants have to use prostitutes. Right. People don't use prostitutes. <laughs> you know? but, and that, that, that brings us to the point, too, where what is with the quality of people in politics today? In Australia, in America, I mean, don't they realize that if you need to step outside of your marriage to have a little extra, there are professionals and you're buying their silence. Right. Why would you want to put your hand on the secretary right. who may or may not want a, your advance when you could quietly go somewhere and pay a reasonable price, act out any fantasy you want, and your wife would never know. Right? Are they that stupid? Yeah, apparently. And then, they, and then the ones that do do it use their use their company credit card. Well, there's a come on, come on. <laughs> but but I don't think we're drawing on the best and brightest to lead us through these tough times. No, maybe not. Maybe not. <laughs> maybe it's all uh, fortuitous the way it's kind of unraveling. I don't know. Oh, yeah, I, I feel very, very blessed and safe that by my own hand, I've escaped to this part of the world, <laughs> you know, and it's, 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 we're, we're so insulated, like I'm 400 kilometers north of Sydney in a tiny coastal village of about 400 people in a lovely home by a golf course, Right. you know, I can walk right. on the beach every afternoon uh, and see a sea that is whatever the sea is like in that day. If the surf is crowded, there's four or five guys that I might know in there surfing. And many times I'm the only person on the beach, a big, wide, beautiful beach. So that's incredible. California, you know, you can imagine walk, trying to walk on Venice Beach right now. Even if you were a multimillionaire, it's shoulder to shoulder with a sea of humanity. You know, wow. there, there's too many of us. I, I uh, answered someone's uh, text the other day by saying, listen, if the, if the fat... Uh, if the fat meat-eating smokers are going to suffer from COVID and die, fine. You know, right. like you're relatively. I'm 72. You know, we we lose 60 million people a year worldwide through all possible causes: old age, accidents. So what? We got two million extras from COVID in the herd. You know, wow. Have, <laughs> because in the 70s there were four billion, and now it's 2020. We have eight billion. What's, what don't you understand? If we had two billion, we could all drive Cadillacs again. Right. <laughs> it's it's a numbers game. Numbers and when we, when we were shut down, it looked it Mother Earth. I felt like had a had a brief reprieve 
Yeah, oh. even, though, even though it was a slight, you know, obviously a very short one, but just a brief reprieve. And, and we have this funny thing in this country, in America, we don't like being told what to do, even if it's just wearing oh. a goddamn mask. You know? Exactly, exactly. You know? Question conventional wisdom right. at all times. Right. Anyway, I, I, uh, the, I, the influence of comic books and graphic novels on people today is absolutely huge. I've, I've illustrated some graphic novels and some children's books and stuff. Mm -hmm. And putting a visual, I often tell people, I'm trying to paint in my large paintings, you know, I'm trying to paint a visual static answer to a complex world problem. Right. This one behind me is Escape from the Circus, you know, the Animal Liberation. I was going to ask about that. I was going to ask about that guy behind you there. Well, there it's two-dimensional and three-dimensional. There's the horse in that two-dimensional and 3 So, and these are big, I don't paint little. You know, I'm used to painting. Yeah, yeah. I paint big canvases, but... There's one for overpopulation. There's one for women's rights. There's one for any of the, all the major issues. But uh, they're all there on the on a website. I mean, I have a really huge body of work that uh, has moved from underground cartoons and surfer cartoons, and it says a teenager, to all the conventional isms of the art world, and uh, 30 years of building hot rods and, and twisting things into odd shapes. Right. We looked at the Porsche. We looked at the Porsche automobile and said, "Well, it's a Camaro." Let's I'm going <laughs> with being the first person to ever chop the top on a 911 and do irreverent things to a trusted marquee. But wow. uh, I, I worked through that. You know, I have a, an older Mercedes coupe and a Mercedes van, and I sort of my partner always chuckles. She says, "You haven't lost the addiction. You just don't have enough money to have another hot rod." <laughs> but you know, you move through phases of any artist's life. I mean, Picasso could draw beautifully, and then he went into Cubism, and then he went into the Blue Period. So if you don't move through periods, you just stay stagnant. You That's can't true. Do that. That's yeah. true. And if you, musicians do it, podcasters do it. Joe Rogan moved to Texas because he didn't want he couldn't make it in L.A. L.A. is as broken as broken can be. Right. <laughs> I've I've always I've always tried to you know, and, and comics is is sort of like an on and off uh, you know mistress with addiction. me you know you know and, and, and an addiction because it's always kind of you know much like anything else goes through phases where there's a renaissance and there's really good writers and really good illustrators yeah. and and uh so it's kind of been an on and off again thing but i've noticed i've reconnected to it more uh in depthly uh more in depth and over the last few years um and not even just because of the marvel movies like we touched on earlier or the dc movies yeah. even though i love all that stuff just because again i'm seeing that i'm seeing a lot of the stuff i grew up on just on the big screen which to me is yeah. is massive but it's just again the art form and then just i just really desperately want to believe that we can one day get to those days of <laughs> just just the star trek days just the the days of everybody just being together you know again i mean you're you're what 40 yeah <laughs> okay. So it, I've almost got you by another 40, but the idea that we would ever in the sixties as a teenager think, you know, when there was only a landline and no one had ever had even an answer machine that you, you'd hold this device that had more power than what we went to the moon with. That's just, un so you know, what's really out there. If they give this to us for 150 bucks, right? you know, I mean, what, what's really out there as far as technology goes. Um, the, the idea of, us being able to do what appears in the Marvel movie. I was talking to a friend and he was going, I have to convince my five-year-old <laughs> that he's not Spider-Man 
all the time. Right. I live in a two-story house. He's on the balcony. He's ready to jump off. I'm like, don't jump, don't jump. He goes, I can't do it. I can do it. And he finally gets him down. And he says, why did you think you could do it? He goes, it's on television. Dad, Spider-Man does it all the time. Oh, no. <laughs> when, they, when they see it as presented in movies and every day, it's real to them. What right. do they know? They're four years old. Right. You know? Right. And I get upset when people go, oh, I'm going to ask Johnny what he wants to eat. Hey, Johnny doesn't know shit. He doesn't have any money. <laughs> he, you know, you, you ask a four-year-old, you can have any food you want. What do you want? I want gummy bears, you know, mayonnaise, and uh, and syrup. Right. right. <laughs> stop giving, stop empowering children and, and, and letting them, you better let them tell them, this is fantasy. This, this is reality. You know, right. this is a movie. But they see it as, as being real. You know, why, why people go, where are the flying cars? I go, we have flying cars. They're called right. planes. Right. They're flying buses, <laughs> you know? And if you want to have a flying car, it's called a personal plane. What are right. You right. And if you want to go to space soon, that's going to happen. You'll be able to just go to space uh, as a tourist. Uh, yeah. I'll, I'll be briefly, you know, and float back down, you know? Yeah. Well, for maybe, I don't uh, know how much money. <laughs> the disproportionality of the, of, the, of the wealthy and the average cap. And again, I get frustrated because you can't, how can I make any difference? The only difference, art is the only tool I have. Art is my right. weapon to make a difference in the world. Right. That's the big paintings for all the different causes. And that's what, I, that's what I can bring to the table. And everyone needs to make, how can you best help the scene? You know, you have right. to be the best person you can. You know, help the old lady across the street and don't flip her off because she's going eight miles and 20 miles an hour. <laughs> you know, try, to, try to take it down a notch instead of taking it up a notch. That's, that's, it, that's right. People, stop being so precious about stuff, you know? Right. Hey, if you don't like it, don't look at it. Keep, right. Keep scrolling. Keep right. scrolling. That's know? true. Is it, is it, is, are you really that upset about the 0.1% the of us that can't figure out what sex we are? I mean, I wish them well. <laughs> you know? but right. I haven't had a problem with it. You know? Right, right. They're not, they're not hurting I, you. And I have, a, I have a beautiful gay daughter that I've known since she was of that mindset. Since she was four, and it, and totally have embraced the LBGT community, and was a you know a, P, a member of P flag, you know parents and friends for gays and lesbians in the 80s and 90s as she was growing up, and she's here in Australia now with her wife, is an extremely successful artist, right? Has made the leap out of California because she has the courage to be who she is, and that's all we all need to be. Who Absolutely, we really are. Absolutely. Be proud of it. You know, what do, what do these we say? Be yourself. Everybody else is taken. To thine own self be true, right? Yeah, right? exactly, exactly. And I couldn't um, think of, uh, I mean, you you seem so genuine. I know we just met, but like you obviously seem so genuine and, and, and earnest in, in what you believe and how you put it out there. Um, and and that's, that's all anyone can really ever truly hope to be with, no matter what they're creating, you know? Um, you know, I, ho I hope that I can try to resemble what my son at least thinks I am, you know? <laughs> well, exactly. And, and it's... My mother used to say, parenting, it's the easiest job to get and the most difficult one to do correctly. Right. So it's not an easy task to be a parent. Uh, in, this, in this very long biography, I've, I failed miserably at times at being a parent. But, uh, you know, the, the, the children, all, they all came good. And I made them my friends. You know, they came back and lived with me exclusively in the, in the chopper shop when they were like 12 and 13. And then they just went the rest of their career with me. But right. um, okay, uh, having them come back was one of the, the triggers to to make me go back into just the three W's 
and uh, and find sobriety again. In fact, I took a year off and went back to the same high school that I that so inspired me because I couldn't get them to go to school. But I went back and volunteered in the art department 31 years after I went to that school and walked them there every day so they would go to school. And they finally came good from that and have moved on and had good lives. But, you know, you, you have to give back. If, when you're right. coming up, you take and take and take. When you get older, if you don't give back, then you're just being greedy for what people helped you. Amen. <laughs> well, speaking of giving back, uh, what would you tell other aspiring uh, artists? And I apologize in advance for the cliche question, but uh, no. what would you what would you tell up and coming artists who are just you know? Because I mean, we do have. I think there's a, a lot of pros to our social media presence where we're able to reach out and touch people and affect so many people. But sometimes yep. it feels like it's oversaturated and you have to post every day and everyone's kind of clamoring to kind of say, hey, look at me, look at the stuff I'm doing. Yeah, so yeah. how, what, any advice? I mean, you've been doing it for so long. Any advice on, on people to survive in this world? True in the 50s and all the way through up to now, people look for genuine energy, you know? Whether you're mistaken and follow a cult, that's your fault. But <laughs> to, to, to be, be real and bring something to the table. You know, uh, uh, it's only because of COVID that I started Instagram about a, a year and a half ago. Hmm. Now, I may only have under a thousand followers, but there are people who genuinely look to see what I may or may not have posted. Today. Right, right. And with a huge body of work, I'm able to go through waves of things from snippets from the 60s cartoon stuff there's the heart rod car there's the big art the small art you know i spent two years with dr seuss in 2000 doing all the dr seuss characters life-size in bronze wow with a, team of, with a team of international artists where the only other american was dr seuss's daughter and me mm. so bringing something to the table and being real about it and not being pretentious and i get in trouble all the time on instagram because i see and I'd hate to say this, but primarily young women in their mid to late 20s who suddenly decide, I'm an abstract expressionist. Well, mm. you know, they, 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 because they don't have something that they can say they are. And everyone in that snowflake generation needs to think that there's something. They need labels. And, it, you know, I lived and painted through Jackson Pollock's era, right? It was trendy then, but it was no talent then. It's really no talent now. I don't want to put a damper on your enthusiasm. Go out and enjoy that painting. Push right. the painting out. It's a marvelous feeling to see those right. colors again. Sure. But it is not, it is not groundbreaking, revolutionary. <laughs> and, and do not attack me because I haven't said, oh, it's so fabulous. Right. Unless you, unless you tell snowflakes, it's bitching. They don't want to know about it. They don't want to take any constructive criticism. You're just a fuck you old man, you know? Right. Okay, well, when you balance what you've done, your 18 posts of the exact same painting against 16,000 16, years of doing what I'm doing. The no, idea it, is, if I was going to tell young artists anything, is learn skills. Learn skills. Do not be tempted by the ease and the romance of abstract expressionism. It's a tool. I use it all the time in the backgrounds of things, and then I develop it further. The viewer wants something. Why right. do you think? Why do you think? You know, pulp realism. Why do you think Robert Williams's paintings sell for millions of dollars? People are over feelings. When I went to art school in the sixties, they go, "I don't want to see any straight lines that could be perspective. I want all flat surfaces. I want you to." I go, How do you paint fucking feelings? You know, <laughs> you know, you give people an image. Right. An image will give you a feeling. And that evokes the feeling. 
Yeah, right. exactly. So it doesn't have to be realism. It right. can be honest. I consider myself a surrealist. I push shapes around so that it's bringing a huge visual impact. So I go, what is this guy trying to tell me? But when you see three splats in a run and a spit of spray paint that projects nothing more than 15 minutes, I get really upset. I get really <laughs> you upset. Get, that's what triggers you. <laughs> well, it is. And everybody needs to be, it, it rubs through the wrong. And it's not so much that it's, it's wrong to do that. If right, right, right. That, if, that's, if that's your art, fine. But do not tell me you are groundbreaking and revolutionary and should be put on a pedestal and work. Right, right. It's not. It's not. Right. It's yesterday's papers. It's as dead <laughs> as the paper newspaper. You know? Yeah. It, 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 well, what about Jackson Pollock? You know, what about the Cooney? That was then. This is now. This is now. Yeah. No one had done it then. No one had done it. Pure and simple. But when it's 65 years past the fact, do not tell me you're cutting edge. Right. You know? and, on, and honestly, that constructive criticism is key. I mean, that in any art form, in yeah. any and even outside of art, like it gives you that grit. It builds that character. You need to people, you need to kind of stumble along the way. Cause those, those, those pitfalls and those stumbles kind of, at least in my experience, they take you where you are today. That's you know what I'm right. saying now it doesn't mean I don't have regrets, but, there, but there's, but there's stuff that gets you to where you need to go that, that uh -huh. you wouldn't, that you wouldn't be unless you went through those things and went through those feelings or those turndowns or those rejections. Rejection. Or, How many right. times have you seen a writer who said, you know, I put all 1,400 rejection slips on the wall and look at them every day. <laughs> because, it, it's, and of course, now from self-publishing, and again, I self-published through Amazon, and I've had great reviews. It took me three and a half years to write this book. Because right. I'm not a writer. Right. Oh, you should write another one. I, I have to have another life first. Right. It, 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 right. I have to have 600 another life pages. Another book that's good. Right. It's, it, the stumbling process is very important. When I was learning custom painting from Robert Martinez, uh, in my early teenage years, he used to say, man, there's no mistakes. There's only chances to customize. Because mm. he would take a drip or a run and move it around. And Because in the early days of choppers and stuff, what, what was the color? Anything you wanted it to be. You know, so mistakes could become a swirl or a flame job. And then I was doing some hand painting on the tanks for him. So we just looked at it as ever. Each one was his own statement. Right. You know? Wow. Anyway. <laughs> I um I know for me like as a podcaster again like you know with the with the overextensive exhaustion of trying to like put your stuff out there and and make oh. and and get people to listen to stuff because ultimately I mean it's fun right it's always fun to create but you but you want people to listen and and we have a little cult following here and I and I tell you you know it's it's more that, than anybody would ever come to any one of my shows when I was playing music you know what I'm saying so I'll take it for now <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> it, it, it's all a stepping stepping stone process. Right. People are looking for the quality of the content. Right. Right. You know, I mean, unless you're Dopra or Oprah, you know, people just stand there and listen to those stupid princes talking about the, the four injustices <laughs> of the royal family. I mean, come on. I, I, are you, is your life so shallow you have to live vicariously through them? Mm. You know, and as far as the Kardashians go, I mean, come on. Let, worship somebody with some real values. Right. Those right. Are idiots. Right. well-paid idiots who are struggling right. and, and not letting you come <laughs> amen and we all know we like to get to where we need to go one way or another so that's right that's right there is an eventuality to every cause hey, and effect hey uh h yeah. uh where where can so you said people can get your book on amazon yeah pretty much any yep. pretty much any uh platform out there right yeah it's it's, it's all out there now through the through the help and i, and I had 
I mean, I had a friend from high school, Kathy Scott, who's one of the top crime writers in America, and a good friend, Tom Tweed, who has Boxshire Publishing in La Jolla. These were high school friends who said, if you want to try to hack it out, we'll help you bring it into context and focus, because I am as dyslexic and cannot spell. If it wasn't for spell checker, I couldn't have suffered through this. <laughs> uh, the the storyline held, and the dialogues held, and the memories held, uh, and they helped me put this into it. And then, of course, my fantastic partner, Carrie Bromash, who, who I always say is the muse and manager mm-hmm. uh, for 10 years now. I'm able to be freed up from the responsibility of the world, except for kitchen duties and making dinner, um, <laughs> to do what I do because she keeps the world away. And those people have helped me bring this book forward. Wow. But it's, uh, it's, it's on Amazon. You can get a hard copy. I mean, let me hold up the demonstration. There you go. There you go. Um, you can get it one more time. There it is. It's a big, juicy read. Full of, it's full of pictures of famous people, young, old, and indifferent. So, uh, and then you can get a digital copy for six bucks if you're the kind of person that wants to read on a laptop. Uh, so, any of your, any, anybody out there who would like to, to, to relive your past, anybody past about 30 starts to relate really well because it's, it's life stories. You know, it might be 20 years earlier than when you were 15. But the experience of a 15-year-old male or female go across multi-generations. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. A yeah. man called Fish is out there of uh, Kamikaze. So make sure you check it out. And and H, I want to just thank you again for gracing us and classing up our podcast with your presence and uh oh. and, and 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 joining us. This was a, th- a thrill to meet you proper and and I'm just uh so so grateful for your time. Well, and the other thing too is that we bumbled across each other from, the, from <laughs> an old man sitting there on, you know, at the beach going, well, I can't do anything else, so I might as well see what these people are up to. <laughs> the technology is amazing. And, it is. Uh, uh, yeah, I'm just happy to be. And if anybody wants to know anything else about what I might know from the, from the past, if it isn't in that book, I'd be amazed, and I'm happy to be contacted through the website. I answer questions all the time from artists who write me from around the how did you get this? See, I'm using automotive lacquers and enamel. I'm not painting in oil paint. I get a different look to this stuff because it's not the same paint. You know, think about it. If I'm using right. a different alphabet, you'd wonder why the words are different. But I'm using a different paint than most people use. It's incredible. It's incredible. <laughs> and I and I and I'm I'm gonna get that book and I'm gonna read it. And uh, I'd love to have you back if you if you'd be if you'd want to come back on. That's that's fine. And like I say. Anything, if you, get, if you don't bring it forward, if you don't pay it forward, if you don't bring something to the table, especially when you have something to bring, you're not doing your part to help turn the, turn, turn the boat. There you there, go. The planet is a great big battleship. It takes a long time to go, we're going, come on now. Come on. <laughs> Stop thinking about shit. Start thinking about the right thing to do. Exactly. Right? <laughs> I, won't, I won't end this on the usual sign-off where we say, don't take it seriously. It's just fiction. Because in this case, there was a lot of nonfiction um, so in this case, I'll just say, hey, kids, don't take it seriously. Make your mark. And uh, H, thanks again. Appreciate right. it. Uh, my pleasure. Best take to you. care. Cheers. Bye-bye.